Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from Timely Underscore Moments. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode, um, 64, uh, which was um, a collab in a, it episode with um, AJ over at the Analog Explorer slash the Bellingham podcast. Um, I hope that our Christmas suggestions um gave you guys some ideas um for either presents for yourself or presents for those within the watch fam or people that you needed to get presents for um i have managed to coerce uh matt over at the spirit of time podcast which is another uh west west coast based podcast which i have ties with uh to come on today as a bit of a bonus episode um i'm a big advocate for their podcast because they talk about a little bit more than just watches it's uh i would say lifestyle and watches it combines a little bit more than just like i said watch fam stuff it combines alcohol it combines food and all the other things that we also deep down like and are interested in um but i've been supporting their podcast since the beginning and i have done a collab podcast with them before but i felt it was time to have a catch-up before the holiday season starts and before we kind of like wind down to christmas so i'm taking this as a bonus December episode uh, before I fully hang up the mic until the new year. On that note, when I come back in the new year, it's been three years of the Zulu Time podcast. And I think that's absolutely amazing. So thank you for your support on that as well and continuing listening to me talk about watches, the military and other stuff that I decide to rant about. So Matt, without further ado, welcome back onto the podcast. How are you going? I'm doing great, man. It's good to see you. And I, I would uh, take one minor point with, you know, kind of how you put that this aside from just aligning our schedules, I don't need to be coerced in any way to come on with you. I think you have a great podcast. I think um, one of the coolest things and my partner, Greg, may be dropping in here, you know, shortly, or maybe not. I know he's, we're in the holiday week here in the United States and he has two little kids who are home from school and he's you know working from home so i think he's probably managing that a little bit more uh right now you know with our time offset it's kind of midday here so his kids are running around i'm sure but we may see him but anyway um i definitely kind of lean more into the sort of the militaria and the ephemera on that side of the collecting house and you know greg is probably a little bit more like of the adult beverage oriented dude cocktails and, and craft spirits and stuff like that. And so, you know, talking to, you know, you and, you know, the guys from land jam or Cole Pennington where, where I think we're all kindred spirits. So it's, it's great to be on with you. And it's been about a year. I think our last time together was the Christmas list episode that we did around this time last year. So we're overdue. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, man. It's been a, it's been a long time coming. And in fact, I remember as well, last year, people don't know this, but Matt sometimes messages me or drops me voice notes. And the last proper off the cuff one was when I was at the Bremont launch event um, for the H1, um, obviously. So there you go. So that's the kind of like, you know, our mutual um, kind of, um, you know, our mutual love for British watchmaking comes in there. So um, I've also, by the way, in good uh spirit of time tradition i've got some 
whiskey recommendations for yourself and Greg at the end. So there you go. So tune in to the end and you'll get those at the end of this episode. Um, before we start talking about... Hey, all- I have to interrupt you yeah. real fast. I need to not forget this because I'm hoping one of your recommendations is the uh, that whiskey from Wales that you talked about. You know, that yeah. if, if it's one of those, because I... I've talked to an importer locally and he doesn't have anything from Wales. I'm like, okay, we need to talk to Dan and get the recommendation because I'd like to try that. Yeah, it, it actually is. So that's really handy, isn't it? That was uh, serendipitous, that. Uh, but yeah, it is. All right, so perfect. I've got, I've got one for you. Um, so I bought a test, a smaller test bottle, as it were, because I haven't tried this exact one. However, I will give you two recommendations. The one that I have definitely tried. A lot of and i'll give you the, the the recommendation for this one that i picked up at the weekend so there you go um before we delve into all things british watchmaking the military and alcohol and whiskey um matt what watch have you got on your wrist today well this is about as far away from british watchmaking as you get but this is the the seiko sla021 this is the uh kind of the modern marine master mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I just, I love this thing. It's, um, it should not wear as well as it does. You know, this is on paper, this thing is a hockey puck, mm-hmm. but as you know, with the Seiko divers, it, they do tend to work a lot better than the dimensions would. And I know everybody says that, but it's really true with this watch. Um, and I wore this actually just because, uh, I was thinking of, of our mutual kind of buddy, um, commando sundials Yeah, and, I've been wearing this watch a lot. I think he got one of these recently. Um, I'd like to think in part because I, you know, put that bug in his ear, mm-hmm. but it's a cool watch. It's a, a great watch for, uh, you know, kind of short, short sleeve. It's still, we have very good weather here in Southern California right now. So you always have good casual. weather. In, <laughs> you always have good weather in Southern California from my experience. Um, that's a really nice yeah. watch as well um what is the diamond what's the uh lug to lug and the height on that again um because for me that is something that i do have to be aware of having slightly smaller wrists than the average watch guy you know that's a that's a good question i mean i think this thing is billed as 44.5 in terms of the you know the actual case size so that lug to lug i don't have the specs in front Mm -hmm. of me but that's going to translate to probably something on the order of about 49 yeah so i mean it's fairly large um it's also relatively tall, but mm-hmm. a lot of that height is the, you know, the, the height of the bezel itself. Yep. I don't know if you can kind of see this, but you know, the knurling, the yep. kind of the gription surface, you know, for the twist here. And I'll, I'll, I don't know if you can catch this on the audio. It, it's silky smooth to the point where I can't catch it on the audio. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's got a really good tactile kind of feedback mm. to it, but you have a lot of surface area, yep. you know, up and down in the vertical, mm-hmm. unlike, you know, something, let's say like a Tudor Black Bay or, yeah, or you know, a, even, even a Rolex. Yeah. Or even um, the scalloped bezel of a Seamaster 300. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. this is fairly tall. I mean, if I'm, I'm guesstimating that this is north of maybe just north of 15 millimeters, mm-hmm. so it's fairly thick. Yeah. But again, the way the the way the thing wears, um, it just sort of drops on, especially if you have kind of a, a flat wrist. So I'm I'm yeah. a pretty skinny guy, mm-hmm. you know, and my wrist, depending on 
kind of the weather and if there's a lot of salt in my diet or if I'm working out a lot is anywhere from maybe 6.6 to about 6.75 at the Mm -hmm. most. And that's, um, that's inches. Yeah. And with a flat wrist, this wears pretty well for me. And it's got that, uh, you know, the adjustable bracelet, which is good. It's not as trick as, you know, the bracelets that you get from Rolex or Tudor or Omega, but, um, this is actually more fit to purpose. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things demonstrated, no, I'll kind I'm... of do this right here. So unlike the others, you can adjust them on the fly, but you have to take them off. Yeah. This, on the other hand, you can, while it's on, just basically apply a little reverse pressure on the clasp when it's open and it opens the thing. Up oh, okay. You can just see how yeah, it, just, yeah, yeah. it slides all the way open. So it doesn't have to come off. And the idea is if you have to adjust this thing for size over a neoprene wetsuit, you don't have to risk if you're like at depth or, you know, you're already swimming and you're off the boat or off the, uh, the beach, you don't have to risk taking it off yeah. and do the adjustment. You know, you can just do it without, you know, having it come off the, basically off your body. So yeah, a little yeah. bit more security, even though it's not as elegant, there's also a lot more adjustability. This <clears throat> thing, when it's, it's fully open, you know, I'd have to say this probably gives you about 1.2 inches. That's in- a lot of adjustability then. Yeah, it's like it's it's quite big. Anyhow, so yeah, that's that's what's on the wrist today. And this thing has awesome loom. How about you? What that's, have you got? It looks like you also have a Seiko. I also have a Seiko. Yeah, I do. So I also have a Seiko one, mainly because it ties into a bit of a shout out that I want to give later on in the episode. Um, so I have my ever famous Seiko uh 7005 uh 8030 the Mac VSOC Seiko uh this is the reference which has been uh, ex- widely accepted um as the last of the issued references to the Mac VSOC um operators during the Vietnam War um I'm fortunate and I'll always say this I wear it as the um as they would have worn it it's on the nylon compass band with a wrist compass which is also period correct so i just keep it together as one set um I, admittedly it is great for photos um and i just think it adds to the aesthetic um i don't wear it as often as i probably should because the watch is now probably 50 51 52 years old um but testament to seiko right the thing keeps incredible time it just shake and bake movement like you know it just keeps going and the loom still works so you know did they think that effectively a dress watch built in 1970-71 would still be running as well as it is 50 years later probably not um but it just shows you how good Seiko are as you know watch makers really um but yeah so that's what I've got on the wrist today yeah I think durable materials excuse me (laughs) excuse me Durable materials and slightly loose tolerances make for mm. a, you know, a really good high longevity piece. And that's an ideal thing. Hey dude, as an aside, I think, um, didn't a few months ago, did I send you like a screen capture or maybe a little bit of an audio clip from the John Stryker Meyer yeah. podcast where they talk about getting those Seikos and how they preferred them to the Rolexes that they got on. So, um, I run, I ran into a guy. Uh, who I've known for a long time through work. He's an, an older gentleman. And he was a contemporary in SOG. He was in CCS. So mm-hmm. Myers was CCN. And yep. and my acquaintance was CCS and um, CC, 
I don't know if they called it CCC or what. But yeah, so Command it was control South, Command and Control Central. Yeah, and then North, yep. wasn't it? So North, Central, and South. Yes. Yep, yep. So I think you know um, when I asked this guy, hey, do you know you know John Striker Meyer? Do you know Tilt? And he's like, oh yeah, he's a big shot in the community, and he goes to all the you know the reunions and stuff. And I may see him this year in Vegas. And this guy is just very unassuming. He knows nothing about watches, and I would still mm-hmm. love to have him on to tell stories. He's he's a without saying too much, cause I don't want to identify him, but here in, in Pasadena area, uh, he is, um, in the medical profession mm-hmm. and nice. yeah, he's just super accessible guy. Anyway, sorry. Just yeah, yeah. No, no, that's really cool. Gotta... So, um, I mean, y- y- this could be a bit of an early recommendation then. So, um, on the subject of the medical guys, within Mac V Sog or those attached to Mac V Sog during the time. One of the best books I've ever read about that kind of era of operations and the kind of stuff that they did in general was called Bright, uh, I believe it was called Bright Light. And it was all about the guys who were attached as medical professionals, as it were, and obviously trained to SF levels and all, did all that kind of stuff. Um, and just their training and what they went through was phenomenal. It's a really good book. I'll put the link into the show notes and I'll send it to you as well, because I think you didn't really enjoy it, especially if you know a gentleman who obviously did that role or a similar role uh, within that conflict. Um, so, yeah, really yeah, cool. Yeah. Really yeah, cool. to be clear, this I I would definitely look at that. This guy though, this he was just you know conventional mm-hmm. uh, army, army infantry special forces SOG, yeah. and then you know post war went to school and did all okay. that stuff. But I'm familiar with the program you're talking about, and yeah. I, that I would read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I'll, send, I'll send it. Yeah, I'll send it through to you. Um, I think I need to give a initial shout out then, uh, given the fact that we're talking about all things Mac V Sog, um, Seiko, the jungle, Vietnam. Um, so another, um, I would say, illustrious uh, watch page, because it's kind of grown up overnight, hasn't it, really? I say overnight, over the last oh, massively. year. Massively. Massively. I'd so. say about a, yeah, about a year, and it is, it's enormously popular now. Yeah, to really good. To the point good. where, yeah, people i know in the in the community who are not into that part of the hobby follow this person yeah exactly um and like i said i i wish him every success every time i've engaged with him um he's been always top-notch um absolute gent of a bloke really interesting you know with the kind of stuff that he can talk about um given the fact of his previous role within the cia you know he openly admits he openly he says that he was obviously once in the cia um but watches of espionage so um, the other reason to why I'm wearing the Seiko today is not just because I know that you're obviously a big Seiko aficionado uh, and the link with the US military with this particular Seiko. It's also because I took receipt of a package um, this week. Um, I say I took receipt of a package. I took receipt of, I'll be honest, half a package, um, mainly because unfortunately uh, the package had been opened at either customs or by the delivery driver. And he may or may not have taken the little coin out of it, which is quite disappointing. Um, However, what did survive and get to me unscathed is, and I'm going to open it on air, so bear in mind the rustling, um, is a copy of the Watches of Espionage posters, which feature... Yeah, buddy. the Mac V Sog Seiko watches. Now, um, full disclosure, this was a gift. These are for free. 
um, from to me. And the reason for that is because um, Woe, as he is known as, um, within the Watch fam, kindly reached out to me when he decided to go down this venture of obviously doing the um, uh, doing these posters to go with his newsletter. Um, he asked if he would if he would I would allow him sorry to utilize uh, my watch photography um, and the photographs of my collection of the sock watches to effectively be given to the artist um, you know in order to render them into these effectively really nice comic like posters so um, for my um, generosity I guess want a better expression um you know just kind of like showing it around the watch fam um i got sent um a copy of the posters and i think that was really generous um and i'm looking forward to putting them into frames over over the christmas period um and hanging them up in what i have now nicknamed watch corner within my room which is effectively around my desk in the watch boxes uh, once they go up on the wall i will invariably take loads of photos of them as well yeah, that's fantastic. That image, you know, of uh, you know, it looks like a rifleman kind of walking in the tall grass, having just gotten off of the Huey. That yeah. that just looks like so such an iconic thing. Very yeah. cool. Very it's cool. really cool. Really cool. Um, now I know there's only one advertised on the website at the moment, and that's obviously the one that I showed you. I'm not in a position, and I won't ruin it. Um, obviously, I've got the other two. Um, what I can say is that they are different which is really cool. They obviously feature different watches, but for those who know about the stories of the watches and obviously the missions that Mac Vsog conducted, there's some really cool hints and almost Easter egg-like um, detail within each poster, which, you know, take reference back to people like uh, John Strykenmayer, um, the running recon books, um, across the fence books and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, right down to the weapon systems in the posters, you know, the uniforms and all the other equipment, which is really cool. So I like that attention to detail. I think he's done really well. Um, and I really hope people, um, effectively go and check them out when they are slowly released. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's something that, uh, I, I love that stuff. That to yeah. me is what, what makes this hobby you know, the most, uh, kind of the, I don't know what, it gives it a lot of soul. Into yeah. How Personality it doesn't it? history. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And, it's, and I think as well, you know, the kind of people that are in the watch time, especially the guys who I speak to, um, we all have a, you know, without offending anyone, but almost an autistic eye for detail. And I think the fact that that level of detail has translated into this venture of his with these posters is testament to the kind of people uh, within the watch fam and the watch community alike. So I think it's really cool. Um, there is another collab actually with Watches of, of Estrinage, which is quite cool. That looks um, that is due to release um, at some point uh, in December. And if you want to go support him with that as well. And it's a watch strap which is being made. Yeah, so I've had an opportunity to see that as well, which is to say, I mean, I've, I've seen it on the, uh, you know, the dispatch, the email, mm -hmm. and yeah. that that looks like that's going to be a pretty cool piece of kit. I, so I've flirted briefly with the single pass, and I've kind of decided that the single pass format is not really for me, even on taller mm -hmm. watches. So I, I probably won't try to get that one, um, but it, it does look uh, like that's going to be a really high quality piece of kit. I know, you know, that strap maker does good work yeah and 
I don't know. The having having the little logo on the inside seems like that's cool. You mentioned Easter egg before. That's a great Easter egg. It is a great Easter egg. And like I said, I think as a combination of uh Watches of Espinars and Zulu Alpha, I think as a you know, in terms of what both sides of the house bring, I think that collaboration is going to go down very well. Um, I think it's going to be quite hard to get hold of those. Um, I have no idea of any of the other details. Like I said, I only saw it briefly on the stories this week. Um, admittedly, Matt, as we spoke just before we started recording, um, I'm in the uh, post-exercise phase of coming back from Denmark. So my head's all over the place with a bit of real world stuff, as it were. Um, so actually jumping on the air with you and talking about watches is a bit of a nice escape for an evening. Um, another release I wanted to talk to you about, which happened literally within the last couple of hours, and I think I said, I'm sure I sent you the link straight away, um, is in um, commemoration to the 60 years of James Bond. Yeah, so I saw that a few hours ago as well, you know, when that uh, that hit. I guess the airwaves and I'm making air quotes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but basically it, it started making the rounds a couple of days ago that there was something coming mm -hmm. and then, yeah, today to see it, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, it duplicates something that I kind of already have. So I don't know that I'm going to be in the market for it, but um, I think they did all the right things, kind of not trying to pack it full of, you know, premium yeah. tech. I like the idea yeah. that this is going to be, you know, uh, my understanding is this is not going to be a limited edition. It's going to be low rate production. So, okay. You know, kind of, kind of like the left hand drive from Tudor. Mm -hmm. You know, it should be as long as they make them. You know, they should be available. Just they're not going to make a ton of them. So either, you probably will be on a waiting list, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be the kind of thing where you have to make a quick FOMO move and you know jump on it. They look great to me. What are your impressions? And did you see the case back animation? Oh, yeah, yeah. So for the, so let's just describe for those who haven't seen it and those who obviously clearly I like to think furiously googling it as they listen to us talk about it. Um, it is effectively a blue Seamaster three hundred uh, SMP three hundred, um, no dates on a Milanese bracelet in steel, with the old original Golden Eye era blue wave dial with an, a blue aluminium bezel fully luminous <clears throat> with instead of the uh loom pipper 12 you've got a 60 in a different color of loom as well to highlight the 60 years of james bond but as you said the true easter egg on this watch is the case back so if you liked the speedy from earlier this year with the snoopy yeah, going the snoopy. around the work going around the world and all of that kind of stuff on the chronograph and the world that constantly spanned because it was linked through the movement on the back of the second hand. This is exactly the same concept. It's just through the center pinion on the second hand on this Seamaster. So this Seamaster has effectively, now I'm not sure if it's the whole thing or if it's just the outside. Um, I couldn't make head or tail of it when I read it initially. Um, but either way, the case back is a display crystal case back with underneath it, it has the silhouette of James Bond looking down the gun barrel and either James Bond and the gun barrel or just the gun barrel element is attached and linked to the second hand. So it constantly spins. Yeah, I think 
so I haven't been able to see it in an animation or in a, you know, in a video format that's bigger than say, you know, like three by three inches, you know, so I haven't, I've been seeing it like on a, on a larger screen to get yeah. really good detail, like macro. Yeah. But I think the idea is there's like an embedded image. And as, um, if you kind of think of it like the, well, basically it's supposed to be the, that stuff stylized, you know, threaded barrel of a firearm yeah. and you're kind of looking down it. And then at the center of this thing, it's a real tight spiral. And as that thing spins around, it's revealing like a ghost image underneath it. And it looks like, I can't tell if it's like the, you know, the characteristic bond kind of walking out in profile and then turning to face the shooter mm -hmm. or if it's something, something different, but that's what it looks like. Yeah. And, um, that to me is is super cool you know for for a watch that's not ridiculously expensive for what it is i mean i yeah. in the united states i think the retail is going to be in the mid sevens so um, i did get a confirmation of price so in england it's going to be 7100 pounds okay so that's about right i think that yeah. you know, that translates to to mid sevens here mm -hmm. and you know to me that's that's pretty cool for a bond fan. And I definitely am. If I didn't already have a 300, you know, yeah. I, I, I would want this. I, the thing that I like about it the most, uh, the animation is cool and, yeah. you know, is going to add a lot of like dork value, mm -hmm. but I like, I like the wave dial. It looks like, again, if, if what I've seen in, in this, you know, the press images is right. It looks like it's not a complete, you know, copy of the old style wave dial. It looks like it's updated, but it is, it's definitely a departure from the really kind of thick, wide, perfectly, you know, like squared off mm -hmm. um, laser cuts that the modern watch has. And as much as I like that, which is, it's a, it's a good technique on the modern watch and having it be on a ceramic dial is cool. But now having like an aluminum dial, aluminum bezel, you know, mm -hmm. you're going to get some fade out of it. It's going to look a little bit more, like the original tool watch that it was yeah yeah uh, i'd agree um obviously we don't know yet because i've said we've only seen press images and as we know or as i know now as you know from the photography side you can you know edit press images to death i'm not saying this thing does not look like what it looks like but you know i'm very aware of you know artificial light being utilized to make this thing look the way they've looked for these press images um but the blue looks to be the same Pantone as the original from 95 and that's what they stated on the website and you're right the wave dial is back to the thinner waves and like you said whether they're the same done the same way as they were originally I don't know I'm guessing it's just really thin laser design you know compared to your version uh, that's what kind of the impression I'm getting but what I do like about it is other than the 60 on the bezel there is nothing that screams James Bond about this watch from the outside. You have to take it off to show that case back. And I think that's where um, a lot of the James Bond watches before Craig's era, shall we say, I, in my opinion, or even even early Craig, actually, even you know early Craig back to Quantum Solace and Skyfall, I think some of the James Bond editions kind of fell down because they had little 007s on them. And right. personally... I get it. If it's on a buckle and a clasp where you can effectively hide it, I think it's fine. 
you know, or in the case back, I think it's fine. But when it's, you know, the counterbalance of the seconds hand or it's on the dial at seven o'clock, I just don't particularly like it as much. And that's coming from a bloke who likes special edition watches, you know, and that, which is quite funny, you know, to say that. But I just think when it's a franchise, it just doesn't bode as, it doesn't sit as well, I don't think. Whereas this plain dial just looks fantastic. If you just had it and you didn't take that case back off, it just looks like a blue diver's watch effectively. And that's what it is. And I think it's great. Yeah, the lower key, the tie-in, the better, you know, so yeah. the, the visual tie-ins, if they can make them really, really subtle, or as you say, just have it on the back, you yeah. know, they, they went, I mean, when you turn the thing over, it's not subtle. No, not you know, at all. It's, it's pretty bonkers. But, um, you know, when it's on your wrist, people are going to just be like, yeah, whatever. It looks, yeah. it looks cool. Is that an unusual bracelet on your, on your old bond? I, for a minute, I thought, and I texted back and forth with some people. I was, I mean, I didn't really think this would happen, but how funny would it be if, Omega trolled us and they're like, okay, here comes the new, you know, the new bond. And then just dropped the current iteration of the watch with a quartz movement. That would be hilarious. Yeah. It's like, Hey, it's, it's quartz. I mean, 93. Yeah. 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 And you know what? People would still buy it. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I've had the quartz Seamaster 300. Um, I, I recently sold it this earlier this year because it just, to be honest, it didn't get anywhere because I've had so many, I've had not so many, I've had a fair bit of watch movement within the collection and additions this year and, you know, over the, this year and the last 18 months that I just didn't wear it as much. And obviously I think that a watch like that needs to be worn. What I do like about the Quartz Seamaster 300s, I don't know if you've ever had any hands-on experience with them, um, but A is the height, the, the thinness of those cases are fantastic. Um, but also the movement has the jump power um, ability, similar to the Aquaterras and the modern you know, Seamaster coaxial movements to change the time zone where you can go forward and back as, as much as you want through the dateline. And I think that's just such a great complication to travel with. Um, yeah, I didn't know that until fairly recently. I've seen the watches before, you know, the older, the original mm -hmm. versions, but never had them in hand. And I know you had that one for sale. It's kind of ironic because you and I, I think, talked a few times about you trying to sell that one. Yeah. And no, nobody in my orbit was interested. And then finally somebody bit. It was one of the guys from the Wrist Cheese Radio podcast. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, let me see. I think it's gone. It's yeah, gone. Yeah, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Um, however, um, if I find out about any others, I'll obviously let you know. But I mean, I think now that Blue Diver, you know, SMP 300s are going to come back all the rage i think because of the really this release like you said if it's a low production release i have a feeling um you know a bit like the new 321 movement speedmasters that have been remade as a low production release if it's something like that i think people will just go on to the gray market and try and get as many blue C dialed seamasters as possible i think this is you know a, a catalyst for blue watches again yeah, well, especially, and you mentioned, because there is a difference between mm -hmm. the the particular Pantone that was used early on and the currently available blue that's used in the Seamaster. And of course, it just renders itself differently when you use um, a different material like ceramic. So it just doesn't look the same. Mm -hmm. um, the same thing is true as much as I want to like them of the, the blue um, Pelagos. Mm -hmm. It's just... Yeah it's 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 got like a weird kind of almost like a white under undertone that makes it brighter and 
you know, look kind of like more saturated. Yeah. And I think having it be more, you know, darker, almost like a navy blue um, is going to be cool. Speaking of this, I didn't say anything prior to this about us talking about this, but the other rumor is, what is it, next year, 2023, is I think the 65th anniversary of the Seamaster, the modern, you know, mm. iteration of the Seamaster, right? So the 57. Yeah. Yeah. Or is it 57? No. So I guess maybe it would be this year. I don't know. I'd have to do the math. I think it's but later I, this year. Yeah, 57. 57 they came so, out, didn't they? Speedmaster, Railmaster, and Seamaster, 57. So yeah. So there's there's a bond piece here, but um I've heard rumors that there may be just a new Seamaster. Mm -hmm. And what I'd be curious about, and I think that you know, the thing that I think people would really want would be like a 300 a 300 professional or 300 m but with the sword hands the mod Peter yeah, yeah, i know yeah, yeah. you could kind of get that in a planet ocean that vibe and i think that's what they omega would say is well that's the continuation of like our version of like a mill sub and, and you if you want that then you get a planet ocean mm -hmm. but but I, I don't think it's the same i think that would be the watch that would sell like hotcakes. Like if Definitely. they just did a, a a Peter Blake handset on the modern 300 and put like the dial that they put on this one, the Bond mm -hmm. watch, you know, the the, the yeah, lower yeah, key yeah. Uh, wave dial. Holy crap. I think that thing would just, would absolutely, they could not keep that on store shelves. No, definitely not. That would definitely fly off and you would be, you know, I mean, people said it about, um, they said it about you know um, Tudor releases before the Black Bay being released and calling you know and the Pelagos being released and calling it like you know the Submariner Killer and all that kind of stuff but I genuinely think that if that was to come out from Omega like it would be effectively a subkiller mainly because they're available you know you've mentioned it a couple of in a couple of episodes back in on the spirit of time you're talking about how you know the value proposition for amiga for what it is if you have that exposed disposable cash as it were to buy a new or you know a modern uh amiga the value proposition for it as a watch uh is phenomenal because of where they are in the watch market what you get for the money and the fact that they're available you know i'll always stand by that i do think amiga often more than the rolex uh, watch house as it were in general um yeah i think modern modern omega is just basically more interesting mm -hmm. and more compelling for me than modern rolex and you know yeah. all bets are off when it's vintage i think you know they're it's more of case by case mm -hmm. but, but if i had a choice you know there's just they're just not that interesting i would if, if somebody offers me one at retail especially a gmt master because that that is my like first watch love yeah, I would take it. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm not going to turn up my nose. I and I still really like Rolex, but at the same time, the hype, the weird, you know, secondary market investment yeah. vehicle angle to things is a real turnoff. And to be honest, there's just not that much that's interesting that they do. No. I think it's just cooler. Exactly. You know, like I said they got a bit more personality. You know, they've got a bit more willingness. I think to put out 
different versions colorways of watches and you know have the ability to appeal to different people um as greg said the technology side of them i think is fantastic you know meta's uh, meta certification uh use of ceramic all of that kind of stuff is just makes them i would say more dynamic as a brand than rolex you know i mean the big thing for rolex was the fact that they made a watch the size of a hockey puck you know out of titanium for the first time and called it rolex titanium what well, that's great but not many people are going to get a hold of it, mainly because any that go into a shop will just be exhibit only. You know, it's still the case over here. Like a lot of ADs for Rolex have Rolexes in the window. Of course they do. You know, they wouldn't have them, you know, they, they wouldn't not be there. But everything that I've seen for the past 18 months is still being exhibit only, you know, unless you happen to have a lot of store buying credit and history with the AD, you know, Um but yeah, I mean, I think that's the argument of Rolex and it's going to be the argument, I think, for at least for another, you know, into 2023, you know, for a while until these pieces start becoming available. So, yeah, but that's my opinion, you know, it's only my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's that's probably true. You know, um, on the subject of watches that you can get hold of, though, um, and other releases, I've got two that I wanted to talk to you about because we have a bit of a obviously fond love of British watchmaking. Um, let's start with Bremont. Alphabetically, yeah. we're, going, we're going alphabetically on this one. So we'll start with Bremont. Um, I was unable this year to get to the launch event for the H1 collection. The reason for that was because it was a very small event. Um, I think that was literally due to the venue. So for those who don't know, uh, the venue was the Tower of London, which is one of the oldest royal palaces in London. Um, if you ever get across this way, Matt, obviously let me know because I'll happily take you around some sightseeing. Um, it's actually my favourite royal palace, the Tower of London. It's, it's just very interesting. Um, and for those who don't know it, it's also the headquarters of the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers. So if you are in the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers, you can literally you know, show your ID and walk in. Uh, and I believe as well, uh, you are entitled to get married in one of the chapels within the Tower of London if you are a serving member or former serving member of the Royal Regiment of Fusiliers. Um, but that's where the event was, and that's why it kept it quite small. Um, I only saw the press releases of these watches what did you think of the watches i think there's an elephant in the room with one of them um and i think that's what i'll start with you know i think there's an elephant in the room with one of the designs um but yeah what's your thoughts overall of the h1 collection and its release well i i enjoy these a lot i have a soft spot definitely in my heart for for Vermont and you know always kind of root for them as far as i'm concerned you know they're the the brand that's doing the most you know, kind of soup to nuts wise, uh, to bring serial kind of industrial scale watchmaking back to Britain. Um, you know, not totally there yet, but certainly many, many, many steps along the journey. And you know, having this manufacturing movement, they're they're very transparent about what it mm -hmm. is. We we don't have to go into all that. Um, but the to me, I mean, so we're talking right. This is oddly fury yep. and. Um, Oh my Super, God. Supernova. Thank you. Thank you. I almost said Supermarine. I'm like, I know that. <laughs> um, my favorite of the bunch is the Fury. You know, to me that I think is going to have probably the broadest appeal. Mm -hmm. um, the oddly, I think is a really good design, but just for my taste, it feels a little too buttoned down. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, the Supernova is, as you say, 
you know, that's the biggest, uh, the biggest departure. It seems like they've really kept a lot of like the design DNA, mm-hmm. but I really, really need to see one of those watches in hand to, to get a sense of what yeah. it's like. Cause it looks like it would wear just absolutely massive. Yes. Um, and, and not in a good way, but you know, some of the watches like the original Supermarine S 500, uh, despite, you know, being a thick watch and 43 millimeters wore fine on my wrist, mm-hmm. you know, especially on rubber. I'd love to see what this thing looks like. It, I think it looks cool. It's innovative. I think there's people who are going to say, okay, it's, it's not innovative. It's bandwagony. It looks like, you know, mm-hmm. agenda, you know, porthole design or, or whatever you want to put it. Um, but I think there's enough, enough different going on. The one thing I wish they had done is just put it on a really high quality rubber, you know, with a mm. really good deployment or something like that. I think that would take a lot of the wind out of the detractor's sails. Yeah, it, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you. Um, it is very divisive. It's the least favorite out of the H1 collection of the releases. And I was fully on board with you in that I think the Fury was the best one. Um and also the one that's most traditionally thinking about it now within Bremont's design house. Now, when I think Bremont, as we all know, I do like Bremont guys. I'm not slating them. I do like Bremont. I obviously have a particular love for the military special projects because they in relation to my career. And let's be honest, that is the side of Bremont that I have had the most interaction and engagement with over the years. But when I think retail Bremont, I think the triptych case is the design cue of Bremont, you know? And I think for me, even though now I've seen, no, I'm still yet to see them in person, but um, I've seen obviously the press release images, you know, I've seen all the social media posts of it and the videos on how they're being made. I think that's actually a really good thing. If you like those kind of videos, the short little less than a minute infomercial videos of the guys put watches together, when there's a new Bromont watch release, they always do a video of them of a watchmaker sat at a desk building them, and I love it. I think it's great. Um, so after watching that, you can see how the triptych design lends itself to being turned into an integrated Genta-esque design. I can see that. It's not for me. I think, like you said, the ability to put a different strap on it would be a game changer for it. I think that would bring new people or different opinions to the table um and i think if they did that it would probably look very similar to the kind of bracelet uh, kind of rubber strap sorry that were on the old iwc uh engineer double crown divers um you know that kind of style yeah. and, and i think that would probably take a lot of the visual weight off the watch i think the watch looks visually very top heavy um and um that's why i don't like it i also don't overly like integrated bracelets i have one it was bought for me as a gift and my father bought it for me and it was a 1970 it's a 1970s integrated amiga geneve and i like it for the story behind it and i like it because it was of that period i personally don't think i think integrated bracelets have to be done right and i just think due to the thickness of the side profile of this watch i just think it's missed the mark slightly um people asked me what my opinion was with the collaboration with mark strong as their ambassador and i said that it's kind of obvious because he was in the kingsman films and they have that tie-in with kingsman so it really doesn't surprise me that 
that collaboration as as an ambassadorship kind of eventually came around. Um, the good thing that I think that Bramont have with the triptych case in general, and this is where I'm hoping the supernova does pull it back, is because it's that stacked modular system of building a case. I like to think that the bracelet slash the top bit of the case doesn't sit on your wrist. And I think if you don't, if it doesn't sit on the wrist, you'd have a smaller, obviously, surface area of the case back on the wrist for wrist presence. And I think that might lend it to wearing at the true size of 40 millimeters. I think that's, you know, I hope that's how they've done it. Um, but if it wears as it looks, you're going to struggle, I think, to find people to pull it off. Yeah, I think that might be right. And of course, I, I'm sort of reserving judgment until I get to see it. You know, everything else that they did in that series to me looks like it's going to be, you know, a, an easy home run for them. I don't know mm -hmm. if that translates, you know, for, for the British listeners, but yeah. that's, uh, I don't know what the, the cricket equivalent is. Um, but it's, uh, this I think is the biggest departure it is. and I just want to see how it fits. And that's, that's really the thing is how does it fit? And, you know, what is it, uh, what does it look like when it's sitting on the wrist? Sorry, while we're talking here. If it seems like I'm slightly distracted, something just overflew me, and I don't know if you could hear it. <laughs> no, I didn't it, hear it. it. It sounded like it was a uh, a formation of UH-60s. So I'm thinking oh, nice. it was probably probably the Navy. Strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, anyhow. I'm trying to look at my app and see like what the hell was that? But I'm like, <laughs> yeah, they're it? not. They're, well, they're not going to be squawking usually unless it unless it's something big. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we get the the new. Um, I don't know what the nomenclature is, if it's MCV-22, but basically the the Osprey that's been navalized. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's yeah, new, I believe it's M. I believe it is MCV. And um, the last time, in fact, you know who will have the answer for you, uh, the Fighter Pilot Podcast, because they did a specialist episode where they brought in a Osprey pilot who talked, but talked to it about the utilization of it in the maritime space. And that yeah. was really interesting. And it brought in all the different variants, but I'm sure it's MCV. Um, yeah, they're, for... they're one of the only, you know, uh, military aircraft that fly around here on a regular basis. Uh, they're based down at North Island um, mm -hmm. and, and they squawk. So you can, yeah. you can see them on the apps. They, they basically fly under the call sign Rudy. Mm -hmm. So if you remember that, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that Sean Aston movie, Rudy, but uh, anyhow, that's a, that's, we've digressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as coming back to the Mark Strong thing, I think that's really kind of a cool thing. It's funny that you should say Kingsman. That makes perfect sense. I think of him as the bad guy in Sherlock Holmes or the real, like the, I don't know what he would be like, maybe the, um, the area operations boss uh, in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Good film, um, that as well. Yeah, I know that one was, you know, kind of controversial. People either kind of love it or hate it, but I thought that was good. I thought his role in that was good. Um, mm -hmm. And he seems to me like a, an interesting tie-in and a, a neat, in a good way, like a neat change from the usual ambassadors, all of whom I love, but, you know, there's, you can, maybe there's too much of a good thing, but, you know, the Jason Carl Foxes and Nims yeah. and, and all of that, you know, that's all very you know, butch and face shooter and, you know, jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that. Mark Strong seems like he's, you know, a different face for the brand yeah. in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, I think it lends to a different 
the the different watch lent to a different style of ambassador and i think they chose right with him or however that uh, relationship came about obviously I, I think probably out the back of the Kingsman movies but I think it fits with this new release um, what I do like uh, from what I've read is obviously they continue to do with their testings on the movements and stuff like that so the ENG line this H1 collection um, in theory and it is theory because obviously I wasn't there so I can't say it but obviously from Again, from what I saw from the release, what I saw from a friend who went to the release and all that kind of stuff, they have tested um, the watch through um, the same testing parameters that the MBs went through, which is quite nice that they're still managing to hit those, you know, um, QC, for want of a better expression, QC hurdles that they are known for within their history. So that's quite good to see that they're continuing to do that, even though they've gone down I think this year, a more dressy release in general. Um, I felt it was interesting that they went for a power reserve, actually, in general. I don't, we, would, we don't see many power reserve watches. Um, I don't think, you know, I've started to notice them more. Um, I now actually own a watch with a power reserve indicator and, and I never thought I would, but I really like it. Um, they grow on you, don't they? They I, do, yeah. I used to think okay well, that's kind of stupid especially on an automatic watch i get it on mm -hmm. a hand well but uh i don't care for that it's it's visually disruptive and who needs it and then i got you know a grand seiko spring drive and mm -hmm. that's kind of a signature characteristic and now i like it a lot and i actually appreciate it a lot yeah yeah i, I appreciate it a little bit when it comes to just picking up watches or just i mean i don't know about you i obviously clearly have more watches than i do wrists so i periodically go into my watch box i wind all my watches even if they're not on wrist and then obviously let them wind back down just to keep things moving and like you said it's nice when you come along to the watch and admittedly like you said a watch is either running or it's stopped but it's nice to know maybe i don't have to wind that one because obviously it's got the little indicator on it which is nice um on the subject of watches with a power reserve, it moves me on very nicely to another British watch brand that I wanted to talk to you about and their release. Um, sure. Elliot Brown. We've gone in there. We've gone in um, alphabetical order. So Elliot Brown now. Um, what did you think of the Beachmaster after I sent that to you? So you just sent that to me. Yeah. I just got to the most cursory look. Um, so I don't feel like I'm really in a place to kind of get a sense or to pass any kind of judgment on it. Um, what do you think? I mean, is my understanding this is, did I see this right though, that this is a, a jumping local hour GMT? Yeah. And uh, not jumping local hour. So it's similar to the Brightling Avengers. So you're, okay. you know, it's, uh, I guess it's what we, or what the, t um, what Hodinkee, what Bellingham podcast, what, um, Analog Explorer podcast, what all the other podcasts talk about when they talk about GMTs, they would refer to it as a caller GMT. Sure. Okay. So the the GMT hand is independently set. Maybe yes. that's what I read. Got yeah. it. Well, either way, I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for pretty much any GMT complication. Mm -hmm. And Elliot Brown is one of those brands that I don't see because there's no retail presence here. But I have a number of friends who have them and swear by them. And the more I'm seeing images of them and you know, we're so fickle in this hobby, but the more mm -hmm. you see stuff, there's that sort of recency bias. Yeah. Whereas I, you know, you see more of it and um, it's like, okay, that's starting to look cool now, you know, for, if for no other reason than I'm seeing it on the wrists of people I like. Mm -hmm. So 
yeah, I'm I'm inter- I'm interested to learn more. Okay, so um, again, I've actually was fortunate to see one when I went down there um, a couple of months ago, and um, we all know that I've got a tie with Elliot Brown and Bramont through the military special project side. I've you know I've led projects with both companies, and I've enjoyed the, the outcomes and the relationships out at the back of those. Um, projects okay um so i didn't go down there because they were like oh dan come and you know see this watch it just happened to be there when i was there i I spoke about it so i've known loosely of this idea of what has turned into the beach master for a while they've just spoken about it and you know you kind of like absorb it dismiss it until you start like you said seeing things of it um and it i think for me it's just been really cool to loosely be to have been on the peripheries of that journey you know, like I said, every time I've engaged with them through my pro- uh, projects, they've gone, oh, yeah, you know, you ask them what else is happening. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, with this is happening, this is happening, or oh, this came back or whatever. And I think that's really cool to have seen this thing go from a design co- idea concept through to, you know, a drawing through to um, patent requests through to a prototype through to production. And that for me is obviously really important. You know, and that's why I have actually openly committed to one. Um, and I think they're really cool. But what it is, is it utilizes that GMT movement and it has two bezels effectively. So you've got an internal bezel on that dual crown. So like mm-hmm. the Canford, like super compressor divers and all that 50s classics, you've got a bezel um, utilized on a, on a crown. And then on top of that, you've got a traditional External the conventional bezel. yeah so I've, I've got it now so i'm looking at the at the uh, uh like the sketches for yeah. the technical drawings mm-hmm. and now i'm actually getting getting into the the images of the piece itself kind of in the flesh and now i get it so i see how that inner inner bezel is going to rotate and give you mm-hmm. the ability to track so if you know if you need to maybe not time an event because that that's not the right way to put it but no, to, no. to get a, sen- a sense of when an event is going to occur exactly uh, yeah so know, at the hour mark you know basically yeah. like a, a kind of a big hack yes yeah yeah exactly yeah. that so they were asked again going off the journal release and the conversation that i had with mm-hmm. alex so alex being the co-founder slash you know head horologist watch designer there he said that the conversation came out the back of effectively an amphibious warfare operator on the british side going um raw marines beach landing recce guys going we would love the ability to time up to h hour up to 12 hours so the initial concept of this was can you basically have on the inside of the bezel i'm guessing 12 hours and off be able to offset that h hour indicator up to your 12 hours but obviously what they realize is if they utilize a gmt movement you can actually do 24 hours so the way they split that bezel is you count down up to h hour 12 hours out and then you can count from h hour 12 hours past um which like i said you know they were granted their patent no one's ever had that in a wristwatch before and i think that's really cool and then on top of that you got your conventional diving bezel uh, which gives you obviously zero to 60 in seconds and minutes, depending on which hand you use that off. Um, and then on the dial, it is a very busy dial, admittedly, but you also have 24 hour indicator similar to that of, 
you know, like the Seamaster 300s with the GMT movement where you've got the inner hour indicators for your GMT hand. So the idea being you can set your GMT hand to GMT or to a second time zone. It doesn't matter where on that dial it faces, but you can still utilize your 12 hour count up slash 12 hour count down bezel as long as you align it to whichever hour you want it still works you know you, you, it just depends on where on the watch face it is it still works no matter what i think that's just a very ingenious but very simple design for such a complicated request you know yeah well i'm looking at this and to me actually because i get it right it is as you say there's a lot of um a lot of print a yes. lot of you know on this dial so it, it looks busy but it sort of isn't it's um it reminds me a bit of you know maybe maybe a speedmaster now nah, that's not a good example um you know like a uh okay here's a maybe a better one it would be something like the zen 856 857 utc yeah so yeah, yeah, the, yeah yeah especially the 857 you've got that outer outer bezel but the cardinal you know three six nine twelve are are very easily seen the main mm -hmm. handset is very easily seen and everything else kind of falls into the background unless you yeah. need to focus and bring it up. But I think this is really cool. I think the watch itself that is, you know, cause looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, what's the catch? I'm going through the fine print of the specifications. I'm like, this thing's going to be a 45 millimeter watch, 40 millimeter watch. This looks like this could be very wearable for a lot of people. Are incredibly wearable and that was the other point that i wanted to kind of bring out about this um elliot brown from uh their case sizes are fantastic just so you're aware um i have a tynum which is 41 mil right through to the canford at 44 mil and i've realized throughout of my years in collecting I, realistically unless i have a garmin on my wrist i can't go above 44 mil without looking stupid you know, everyone says 40 mils is a sweet spot, but the fact that they've managed to get that complication into a 41 mil watch is phenomenal. You know, um, I've just sent you a photo just so you can see it of the loom. Um, the other side of it is the loom is different in terms of your timing loom, similar to the Amigas, is a different color to your um, mission, in this case, mission relic timing elements to your time time elements for one of their expression are different colors so you can differentiate them but also the um time like the applied markers i think it's fantastic it just adds a depth to the bezel uh, bezel a depth to the dial which hasn't been present on other elliot browns because of how they make their dials and again that's no slight on them i think they're dials are some of the most legible dials that I've got in my collection um but I do like the added extra you know thought process that's gone into this with applied you know indices and all that kind of stuff as well yeah looking at this especially the loom shot really kind of um gives you a sense of how the the different sort of font sizes and everything it draws out the most important visual elements that you'd use day to day Mm -hmm. without having it looking super cluttered yeah so so yeah i just wanted to show you that because i knew that would be something that was unique and kind of in your wheelhouse matt um and i you know i don't think i mean there's been a lot of hype um on our side of the pond as it were you know within the watch community that i follow in a way of that have been following this release um but i just wanted to make you aware of it because it just looked like something that um would be up your street and you know if you were to get um 
get you know hands on it and then obviously you know do do so a thousand percent yeah any any sense of what this is going to cost yeah so it's uh retail is 2300 um, okay, i think that's i think that's pretty fair you know for um, a, a really cool design yeah, like yeah. that you also get three three straps with it you get a okay. bracelet bracelet a rubber and a nato or nylon uh you get all the obviously tools to size and adjust it as well um and interchange your bracelets and you even get a cool challenge coin and a booklet that tells you the story behind the watch in a big display box so as a watch clearly as a release this is clearly their premium big release um and i think what's quite nice is that it's also tied in loosely with their 10-year anniversary as elliot brown uh, their tenth year as Elliot Brown is next year. So, yeah. Now, did you tell me these guys? Do they have a piece that is is it an official issued piece to some element yeah, yeah. of British British Armed Forces? Yeah. yeah. So the um, the Holton range, the Holton Divers range, is got an, has an NSN number. It was developed with a uh, unit within the British military. Um, amphibious unit in the British military uh, based on the South Coast. Um, they did okay. all the trials for it. Um, but yes, the original Holton Quartz Diver is an issued watch. Uh, and it replaced the CWCs of, you know, uh, the beginnings of the 2000s into, you know, late 2000, well, mid 2010s, really. Because um, we still were issued them. They just weren't, didn't hold the contract because the contract lapsed effectively. It just ended because, you know, as we know in the military, contracts end, but things can still get issued because they've sat on stores, which is fine. But, you know, they're not being issued anymore. Elliot Brown came in with a new design. That's the one that holds the contract. So, got it. No, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool, actually. I'd so, love yeah. to see one of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever get across to England, Matt, obviously, you know, you're more than welcome to, uh, you know, I'd take you down there as it were, or like you said, you know, there's enough of them in my watch box that you definitely get hands on with an Elliot Brown. So yeah, well, we could meet at the the bar at the wing. Yeah. And... <laughs> Bring out all the watches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cool, um, cool. Well, yes. so what else new then? So we've talked about Bremont, we've talked about Omega, we've talked about Elliot mm -hmm. Brown. I wanted to bring off one last Amiga thing because um, I got hands on it and I don't know if you have yet because I know that you've got a few ADs your side, uh, which obviously stock Amiga and seem to have a good um, kind of, you know, relationship with them and, you know, good um, plethora of Amiga pieces. Have you had hands on the new X33, the Mars timer yet? I have not. Oh, so... I did last week, weekend, and all I'm going to say is I didn't realize how light that thing was going to be. And now, is that the first of the sort of the X33 type watches you've had a chance to play with? Ever, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, they're oh. they're pretty amazing. And I think what surprises people is how, you know, how tall they are, and that has to do with the, the acoustics for the alarm, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which is insanely loud. Yeah. I guess the, the specification was that you had to be able to hear the alarm, you know, basically in, in the STS system during mm -hmm. the boost phase. So if you can imagine like atmospheric boost to, you know, get up to orbit, it's just this, you know, super loud. And you had to be able to hear that alarm mm -hmm. over that. Um, I hear great things about those watches. I've just never quite had enough money to justify having mm -hmm. a, another thing like that. But to me, it, 
that blows every G-Shock out of the water, every Garmin out of the water. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's just so, the coolest. Cool. Yeah, I think it's just the coolest quartz watch you could own, to be honest. Um, uh, a friend of mine recently took delivery of a special project, but it was based on that, uh, the Breitling, uh, I want to say Chronospace, you know, the one with the hands and the two digital dials. Um you know, and they look cool as well. But I just think the Amiga like version of that, the X eighty three, I just think it's phenomenal. Like it was the first time I'd ever got hands on with one, and I said I was blown away. That the weight on that thing was phenomenal. It's just absolutely light as a feather. I thought I wasn't gonna like the red, orange, earth toned bezel and the gradient on the second hand. I didn't mind it. I genuinely didn't mind it. If anything, it reminded me of the 1960s, my dad's 1960s orange second hand on my on my chronosop. And I like yeah. to think it's kind of like a continuation mm -hmm. of that design. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was really cool. Um, they're about £6,000 um, retail. Um, I bet they must be really hard to get hold of as well because there can't be much call for those to go out across all the ADs. I can imagine so. I'll have to inquire you know, with, with some of the folks that we talk to around here, I think, you know, that price does, you know, obviously take away from, mm -hmm. you know, the natural enthusiasm, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a quartz watch, but I think what really added to the the cost is the fact that it's, it's a quartz watch, but the, the computations and the, the, the power, I guess, the computing power mm -hmm. that the processor needed to have was beyond what the, the old one could do. So I, my understanding is they basically had to design a new one. Um, I think the coolest thing about the watch is just sort of what it represents. They, you know, yeah. all the functionality that they made for Mars mm -hmm. to me, that's the kind of thing like, uh, it's the engineering equivalent of basically having the confidence that, yeah, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. we're, we're going, we're going to need it. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, so, I, I, this is a very, uh, long way to articulate this, but, you know, I'm sure you've heard the stories about, you know, allied airmen being shot down and in, in the Stahlagluft, mm -hmm. you know, in, uh, in Germany and having their watches confiscated and writing to Rolex asking for yeah. replacements and Ro Rolex would send them a replacement with a letter that says, don't pay us until after the war. Um, to me, knowing that those letters were probably being read, you know, before, um, they were delivered to the, you know, the POW airmen, mm -hmm. Uh, that was basically Rolex, I think, you know, saying to basically the, the you know, uh, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word German because it did, but you know what I mean? Basically the, the Nazis at the time saying, Hey, yeah, we, you're going to lose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, send, we're sending these watches gratis because we know you're going to lose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, It was almost like a middle finger up to the, to the, uh, the regime as it were, wasn't it? You yeah. Know, and, yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. You know, um, yeah. and to me, that's the same sort of spirit, albeit harnessed in a completely different way in a different direction, but like, yeah, we're going to go to Mars. We're going to yeah. make it. We're getting, yeah. we're getting there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we need a whole new watch to do it. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that blew me away about reading it. And then, like you said, just the fact that I walked past the window and it was in there, I was like, I've got to stop. Um, I turned around to my um, to my friend who was with me at the time, uh, and I was just like, "I've got to stop. I need ten minutes." <laughs> you know, like I'm going in. I'm never going to get a chance to to hold one of these again unless I go in to physically buy one. Um, you know, for a while. Um, and also, what I found quite interesting was the fact that 
going back to like the 60th anniversary of the moon landings watches and all that kind of hype that was run that element of speedmaster history but i remember buzz aldrin mentioning it in one of his interviews with omega and i can't remember which one it was uh, but he mentioned about how he was loosely involved with a watch for mars and i just think again it's really cool to think that potentially his experiences or his collective experiences um helped formulate those computations that go into that watch movement you know admittedly yes you're right it's a quartz watch but there's you can still get excited about a quartz watch you know um, yeah and that's definitely one i think to to get excited about and if anyone is walking past an amiga ad and sees one in the window stop for 10 minutes go check it out because you won't get a chance to again unless you go and physically buy one um the final watch topic that i want to talk to you about before we finish our basically pre-Christmas catch-up and I give you whiskey suggestions. Um, what did you think in the end of IWC in Top Gun Maverick? Oh, I thought it was cool. I mean, I, I liked everything about the movie. I, I, I'm an unabashedly, you know, pro Top Gun yeah. guy. And I thought it was cool that, you know, the watches and the, the, the basically the purpose-built stopwatch, you yeah. know, was, was in that, you know, it was completely unrealistic you know that they're like mm -hmm. in some some notional you know uh combat information center or whatever you know on an aircraft carrier and it's like oh we've got a uh we're timing the mission with an iwc chronograph that you know probably would cost the navy 10 grand but uh <laughs> i thought it was super cool and what what struck me was with the exception of that um that stopwatch in you know that kind of final series of sequences the rest of the the watches on wrist were very subtle to me the first time I saw it. And mm -hmm. when I watched, I went back and watched it again. I'm like, okay, there's one, there's one, there's one. Yeah. You know, they're all over the place. You just, you know, kind of have to pay attention. I think they're cool. I, I like that range of watches. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a little twee, but um, you know, it is a real thing. And, you know, there's Navy pilots out there walking around with those watches. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen a few in, in even in my kind of travels, uh, which is quite cool. You know, I've seen the retail ones as well. You know, I've had hands on with the Blue Angels ones, Top Hatters version and all that kind of stuff. And again, there's, you know, nuances with that. I don't necessarily know how I feel about, you know, um, squadron watches effectively being sold. It makes me wonder how that happened. Yeah, I, I wonder you know? how it happens because I get like with Citizen, like you've paid enough money you can use a trademark and you know there's elements back to charity but from what i understand i don't didn't haven't seen any notion of money from iwc going back to the unit charity as it were to use that i don't know where it comes from um but you're right you know in terms of actual watches on on aviators wrists and squadrons wrists i think it's cool the fact that you know iwc clearly have a tie with top gun um because they use it in general for that line and then obviously through that they have that tie-in with the naval strike fighter weapon school and i just think you know it's a natural thing to have seen it you're right in the fact that the watches were quite subtle and i think that was really good um the only reason i knew the watches were in there was because obviously being a member of the watch fam and a collector i hunted for them and i followed the releases um but like i said for those who didn't know you didn't know that they had them on and i think it was a really good way of doing it yeah, it was, it was not, uh, they weren't beating you up with it. You know, I, I went to a premiere 
of the movie with um, Jello. He was kind enough yep. to invite me to that. And it was kind of funny because the audience was consisting primarily of people who were, you know, formerly had been through that program, mm -hmm. you know, either yeah. as graduates or, or teaching. Yeah. So yeah. I did a lot of watch spotting there. Yeah. And uh, I will say there was a, a lot of Breitling, a lot of G-Shock, um, some Rolex. I didn't see any IWC in that room, but Ooh. I think all of these guys were probably from an era prior to IWC's involvement. Yeah. So, you know. Well, I mean, like you said, looking at the, probably the assumed age because obviously after listening to the fighter pilot podcast and knowing the years of service that jello has i think brightling was probably the one you know which had most association with the military at the time of their service that's right yeah i you think know? that's exactly right um, you know so that's you know maybe you see more as time goes by you know more of the, the younger generation of, mm -hmm. of navy and marine corps pilots wearing those things but it was cool yeah very cool. Very cool. And I'm, like I said, finally glad that we, you know, almost half a, half a year later from the release, we've managed to actually get our thoughts recorded on that. Um, and then I guess the only final thing I've got to leave you with before whiskey and a watch suggestion um, was I also want to thank you for putting me in touch with Aaron over at Basel Watches. A really interesting uh, interview, really good guy. And again, I encourage people who haven't listened to my episode um, or even your episode uh, talking about the Basel collaboration with the US Army, go and check it out. Because again, it's just a unique way of looking at watches in, in the military sphere. Yeah, that's on that's queued up basically for uh, it's one of the problems with being sort of in this hobby and, and doing podcasts is I, I listen to about 15 of them. Yeah. And I do try to listen to all. So I listen to everybody in batches. But when I saw that yours came up really quick, I was like, oh, OK, that was fast because we yeah. only really did that about maybe six weeks ago. It feels. Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so. I, rec I recorded it the week before I deployed out on that exercise in Denmark um, and I had it ready in the in the bank as it were ready to go for the entire time and at the time they weren't sure which date i was flying back and i just turned around to aaron and said look the moment i get back the week i get back the first weekend it's going to go up um you know and that's how it worked but yeah i mean i think our episodes went up within a month of each other which is really good i like to think for them as well and that release yeah, that that shows because you know how hard it can be. Well, obviously, I mean, we're a perfect example of just threading the needles on everybody's schedule, both with, <clears> you know, the schedule, but then the time offset. Yeah. So anyhow, so, yeah. well, dude, talk to me about whiskey. Yeah, man. Uh, so I've got one here for you and Greg. Uh, I've not tried it yet. Hence why I've got the small bottle. Um, but Penderin. OK, it's a Welsh whiskey distillery. Um they do a few different versions. They've actually re recently released one in that was tied. I saw it in, in the shop tied with Welsh Rugby Union, obviously, because we know Wales is big into their rugby union. Um, but they have uh, Penderin Legend is the uh, blend that I've tried. And it's a fantastic whiskey, uh, really good chilled. Um, and I actually had it chilled by accident. I remember I took a bottle of it to a 40th birthday uh, family event. And because of the shape of the bottle, you'd be inclined to think it was a bottle of wine. And, yeah, that's, ex and that's exactly what happened. So um, a member of the family at the party assumed without reading the label that it was a bottle of wine and threw it into with all the other white wine bottles into a bucket of ice and we left it there for an hour but i tell you what it made it 
really good. So if you can chill it before you drink it, chill it. Um, instead of actually putting ice or water in it, just chill it and then drink it neat. Uh, really good, clean tasting whiskey. Uh, the one that I've got here that I want to suggest to you, because like I said, I'm a fan of Pandaren no matter what. This is their Madeira blend. Okay. Um, and it, it comes in slightly smaller bottles um, from what I've seen. Uh, but I will give you a message later on this week when I actually finally crack this little one open. Um, but yeah, I can thoroughly recommend Penderin. Uh, they now have a peated version as well. Uh, and then they have another version called the Kelt. So another blend called Kelt as well. Obviously, all of their whiskies are from Wales. All of their naming uh, conventions take inference from obviously welsh history welsh myth and all that kind of stuff so penderin so if you can get hold of some of that out in california i encourage you to do so because you'll really enjoy it yeah i'm going to talk to my guy and see if he can get uh his importers and their network to bring something over you know maybe that would be one of the suggestions i'd give to him i have a question so is or do you maybe you don't know this i certainly don't um but as a rule are whiskeys from Wales, say that slowly, whiskeys from Wales, um, kind of heavily peated normally or maybe less less heavily peated? So, like, yeah. More like Irish whiskey or? Okay. So from my experience, they're closer to a single malt. They're a lot cleaner, less peaty, less smoky. Uh, and that's what surprised me about the one that I saw. It specifically said peated whiskey on it. And I believe it was the Celt blend. Um, all the other ones are definitely more on the fruity, lighter side, from my experience of Welsh whiskies in general. And Penderin Legend definitely is on the lighter, fruitier kind of palate side. Um, I liken it to, I assume you've tried like Nika and Suntory whiskies. Yep. I liken it similar to that vein of a whiskey um, than, like you said, a peated Irish whiskey Um like Powers is a good whiskey, but I find it a little bit more peaty. Um, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to give that a look. I think between the two of us, you know, my podcast partner, Greg is more into the smoky peaty stuff. Mm-hmm. And I like stuff that's like, you know, you kind of describe, you know, done with a little bit less smoke and, you know, not as much of that uh, kind of saline kind yes. of peat, you know, quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that toned down. So maybe, maybe the, Welsh whiskey would be a good way to go. Was there another brand as well? Something, um, I don't know. I remember we had a conversation about it because it's related to, or maybe it's nearby um, the Beacons, right? Is there something so that's, that's close to- No, no, no. So that, that was, that was Penderin is the one that's okay. close. Yeah, so I know I know that Penderin's distillery is near the Story Arms and the Story Arms is the pub in which uh, the fan dance goes past. So fan dance again very quickly before we close this episode down is the pub um, that's on an element of the route on the fan dance, which is obviously synonymous with UK Special Forces selection. Yep, yep. All right, yep. well, all the more reason for me to try it. Yeah, kind of satisfy my inner Walter Mitty. <laughs> Definitely go and try it. Let me know your thoughts if you do get hold of it. And if you can't get hold of it, I'll get hold of it for you and I'll try and send you a bottle out yeah, we... because because I can. Um, I've got one more uh, closing note before I let you obviously wrap up the episode as it were from your side. Um, sure. I recently took delivery of a book by Mr. Watch 93. 
He's on Instagram as Mr. Watch 93. He's released a book called Microbrands Book. And it highlights uh, inside microbrands and independent watchmakers. I had no idea about it until I saw it posted on, on Instagram. The front cover looks pretty funky. And I think it's a pretty standard, similar to like the watch annual. I think it's like a one-page or double-page spread of various independent watches and microbrands dating a little bit of their history, a couple of their you know models and some nice photography. So if you're into maybe a coffee table, book for christmas uh and you're obviously or watch related present for someone who is into watches but you don't want to buy them a strap some tools as obviously was mentioned in uh spirit of times podcast episode where you know you discussed uh you know watch life in la and all that kind of stuff and visiting la um maybe have a look at that as a book could be a good option so that's the final note that i've got matt have you got any closing notes for the audience before we tie this off you know, not really. I would just say maybe listen to the episode that Spirit of Time just put out today, mm-hmm. which is, you know, this is basically the day before Thanksgiving here in the United States. Um, and we have a kind of a Christmas list rundown. And rather than rehashing all that, I'd say just go in and listen to that. It's episode 51 uh, available on all the major podcast players. I know this may this episode that you're recording now may not go up for a little while, but if it's up before Christmas, it should still be relevant. And that's about it. Yep, that's it. Uh, No, this will go up before Christmas because I plan to have a break into the new year. Uh, Matt, it was great to finally (laughs) coordinate our um, schedules. Um, I know we've been planning it for a very long time. Uh, And guys, thank you for listening and supporting both of our podcasts this year. I know I've said it again in the episode just recorded with AJ, but I do thank you for bearing with us, especially when episodes like this where we haven't really got... um, a script or you know ideas of what we want to talk about there's just things that we've been meaning to catch up on for a while um matt i hope you have a good thanksgiving i'm sure i'll drop you a message over this holiday break time as it were for you and your family uh and i look forward to catching up with you over christmas and new year as well 100 man it's good to see you again you too man take care take care bye 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 now Thank you.